It is, uh, it is a privilege to be with you this morning, and uh, I recognize the nature of this day and uh, come with, a, uh, with the same kind of spirit that you have, and yet in, in, in the midst of that spirit also a, a recognition of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Amen? And I'm so grateful that uh, we sang about that this morning, and we were given that reminder, and we need uh, that reminder. Uh, my name is Mark Lindstrom, and I'm the district superintendent for the North Arkansas District Church of the Nazarene, and I have the responsibility to oversee about 61 churches and ministries all across uh, North Arkansas, of which your wonderful church is two expressions of those 61, both here at VCC as well as um, Pastor Amanda and uh, our friends in Bentonville Glacia Church. Um, we are so grateful for your ministry and for these churches and for the ways that you uh, partner together and the ways that you minister to this community. Um, God, is, God is up to something good and God is doing some new things. And I am here with you because obviously you are very well aware that uh, we are in the beginning of pastoral transition and uh, a journey that we trust the Lord is, will lead us on and he will be faithful to us um, as we go through it together. One of the ways that uh, pastoral transition kind of begins is uh, through many conversations and many, uh, many prayers over many months. And so I want you to know that uh, even before you were aware of all that has taken place, that I've been praying for you. And that um, I, have, I, have, I have asked the Lord to uh, give guidance and to give wisdom. I've been praying for Pastor Mark and Lauren and uh, not only as they s sought to discern the Lord's will for their own lives and ministry, but also praying for them that uh, however the Lord led them, that they would feel a sense of peace about that. And then once they had God's heart, if that, if that heart meant a transition for them, um, praying that the Lord would bless their transition and uh, specifically trans their, their life transition to a new community and a new work, and specifically as it relates to uh, the transition of their children. Um, having made a move with, with children not too many years ago, I understand all of that and uh, have been praying for them, as I know that you have um, through that. I just want to say thank you for the way that you uh, spent this last month um, blessing and supporting and encouraging. I know in your hearts it's going to swallow hard through that, but uh, you've been so good. And Pastor Mark has expressed um, such gratitude for your graciousness. And thank you for loving them and helping them to be able to transition and to, to say a farewell that uh, is one that uh, would honor the Lord and would bless you and bless them. Um, you're a good church and you're faithful. And my prayer is, as we start this journey, that in the same way that you have been and have always been a, a gracious people, I pray that the Lord will be especially gracious to you. And that he will, he will shine his favor upon you. And that he will care for you through this time and this season. Um, in my role and my responsibility, I will do my part. And I will, I, I will pray for you. And I will work with our board and with the staff team through this entire transition. And um, I care deeply about this transition. <laughs> and um, I'm praying that the Lord will guide us well and will lead us. Um, as I said to the first crowd, you have no greater fan than me. And I will be praying for you and will be loving uh, you and uh, doing what I can uh, to support you along the way. 
This morning as I was in a um, hotel room, and by the way, uh, Kelly and I are really glad to be with you. Um, Kelly's here with me. And uh, we had pastors, our ministry team retreat this week, um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in Branson. And so we were with all of our pastoral team that were able to make it to that. And so we were together in Branson for those weeks. And uh, our children are back in Conway where we live. And because of the way it worked out, my sister tagged on an extra day. And so Kelly and I were able to come over from Branson yesterday. That's an hour and a half drive as opposed to what would have been a six-hour drive for me to go back to Conway and back up. And so it's great for us to be here uh, together with you. And uh, we're praying for you and we love you. Um, this morning I was thinking through uh, the, just the whole process of transition, and, and I, I help lead churches through these as part of what I do in this work, and uh, I, I say lots of things as part of those processes, and I just felt kind of led to write a few things down to share with you. Um, these, are, these are statements, kind of encouragements to you, but they're also kind of prayers for you um, as you walk through this journey together as a church, and we walk through it together. And it's just a reminder that I need, I need oftentimes in the work that I do and, and having been kind of on the other end of these pastoral transitions in my own journey along the way. And that's a recognition that Jesus loves his church even more than you do. And I think it's important that we remember that as we start this whole thing. You see, the church was not your idea. The church was not my idea. The church was not even the idea of the people that birthed this great congregation over 100 years ago. You see, Jesus created the church. And that's a really cool thing to think about when you realize that he also created everything. And so that same God who created everything created the church. The church was Jesus' idea. And over the last 2,000 years, through all kinds of transitions and tumult and cultural convulsions and pastoral transitions in the millions, Jesus has proven that not only did he create the church, but that he will sustain his church. He has always provided for the church. Again, tell yourself, he loves this church even more than I do. And that because he loves this church even more than I do, that I can trust that he will sustain us through whatever comes and he will get us all the way to where he wants us to go. Also a recognition that, that not only did he create the church and he sustains the church, but he died for the church. You know, I've been in ministry since 1993, a lot of years. And I've had to do some difficult things and I've had to, had to sacrifice my life in so many different ways as a pastor and in ministry. But I've still never yet had to shed blood for the church, except maybe when I cut myself on some corner somewhere. But I've never had to shed blood. I haven't had to lay my life down. And yet, and yet Jesus did all of that for his church. He shed blood for us. He gave his life for us. And that should tell us that, hey, he really does love his church even more than I do. Amen? And I can also, because of that, of that truth of knowing, he created it, he sustained it, he died for it. And, and he loves it so much that the Bible tells us that someday he's going to return for the church. He's going to come back for the church, and, 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 he is, and, and that means he's very much aware of what's going on in his church, and he's aware, and he will return to receive it. Just remind yourself of that whenever you question things, and you wonder about the process, and, and you, you, you kind of try to figure it all out. Just remember that, hey, God's got this, amen? Jesus has this. We are in his hands. 
The second thing I would, I would say to you as you kind of as we begin this journey is, is, is to recognize that we really are in this whole thing together. That in, in transition, we are better together. That there is a strength that can come when the people of God pull together in ways that don't always happen in unique ways that happen in pastoral transitions. I want to encourage all of us during this time to, to do what the Apostle Paul says over and over again in his letters to the churches, some of which are going through difficulties, some of which he's had to in, kind of encourage others, he's had to rebuke other challenges. Over and over again, the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church to strive for unity. And, and believe it or not, even though transition can be uncertain, there actually is a unifying quality that can take place in transition that sometimes isn't always felt, even whenever things are kind of going on as normal. And I want to encourage you, don't miss that opportunity. The Lord will give you opportunities to pull together in cool ways. So I want to encourage you to strive for that. And the way you strive for it is you, you give of yourself more. You serve more. You, you, you come alongside more. You support others more. You pray a little more. You you, you offer your life in more ways than perhaps you do on a normal time. And as that happens and everybody starts to kind of pull the oars in the same direction, unity comes. And as a result, sometimes through transition, a church actually finds itself growing together and stronger and more unified even than when things feel normal. Because we're all in this together, I want to encourage you something I've been saying quite often in churches across our district over these last few years, and that is to practice hospitality. To decide to become a church that we're going to live out the Christian virtue of hospitality. Hospitality in the way we relate to one another. But hospitality also in the way that all of us step up our game to be hospitable to this community. And to the people who come into our community even in the midst of transition. Transitions can be an opportunity for the church to shine in its hospitality. I want to encourage you, because we're all in this together, to be very flexible about the way church life goes during this season. Everyone's trying to figure out a new normal. Everyone's trying to figure out what their role is going to be. Many people are filling gaps and plugging holes and stepping up in new ways. And so to be flexible with each other, to be patient with one another. And that doesn't just mean to be patient for the process, because the process can be meandering. But to be patient with each other, to be patient with your board, to be patient with your staff, to give yourselves a little more grace of patience. Choose to practice forgiveness during this season. Be forgiving. Offer forgiveness. Receive forgiveness. Express a heart of forgiveness to one another. When mistakes are made, when the process takes, gets a, a speed bump along the way, be forgiving of the way processes sometimes play themselves out. And then most importantly, because Jesus loves his church more than we do, be hopeful. Be hopeful. We serve a God of hope, amen? And he will see to his church. And so lean into that. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to wonder. But we never do it outside the context of hope. Third thing I would say to all of us as we enter this journey together is to trust the process and to trust the Holy Spirit. By the way, I believe that the process and the work of the Holy Spirit are actually not two separate things. I actually believe they are one thing working in concert together. The one thing about being a part of a denomination called the Church of the Nazarene is we've got more than 120 years of doing this sort of thing. 
of trying to work with congregations and help us kind of land on what is God's will for the church and who is God leading to lead our churches. And the process, I can promise you, I've been through a bunch of these. It can be, like I said, meandering. It can be fits and starts. There can be all kinds of things that happen along the way. But I can also say how faithful God is looking back oftentimes on those processes and say, wow, I never dreamed it could work out this way. But God, you are faithful. You've got this whole thing. And wow, the process was sometimes a little squishy, but you got us to where you wanted us to go. Holy Spirit, you are good. You're good. And sometimes it's only in the looking back that we see that. And so we trust him even in the time on the front end when we aren't able to look back yet. Amen? So let me encourage you during this season. Give your board the benefit of the doubt. When you have questions and you're just wondering, you're questioning what, give your board the benefit of the doubt. Give your staff team the benefit of the doubt that all is working well. Give your district superintendent the benefit of the doubt. Let me just encourage you, don't try to predict, don't try to assume, don't try to borrow any trouble from tomorrow, or as Mary Helen used to say to Michelle, who told me once when I was about a 16-year-old pastor of this church, Mary Helen used to say, don't see ghosts where there are no ghosts. That's great wisdom in that, amen? Um, Don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. And the last thing I would say to you is, let's, let's make a covenant together to bathe this entire journey in prayer. You see, we're going to do the things that the process tells us to do, and that's going to require us to do the things that organizations do to find leadership. We'll do all of that. But we also believe that the battle belongs to the Lord, right? At the end of the day, we're not looking for a CEO, we're not looking for the next great officer. We're not trying to go through a list of candidates and to find our next um, King Saul, you know, the one who is the tallest or the prettiest or the shortest or the whatever else. You know, that's our humanity catching up with us, isn't it? What we want to do is we want to recognize that this, for the church, corporations do it one way, but the church does it another. This is a spiritual journey for us, Right? We'll do all the things we have to do to do it right. But we, at the end of the day, we don't want our best choice. We want God's best choice. We don't want our will to be done. We want God's will to be done in this place, even as it is in heaven. Amen? That's what we want. That's our hope. Well, how do we get God's will? Well, we get God's will by joining the Lord in battle. And where do we join the Lord in battle? Through prayer together. The intercession, and I know that there's already some initiatives going on behind the scenes to make this a prayer journey. And I want to encourage all of us to plug into that particular part of the journey. Because at the end of the day, Jesus loves the church more than we do, right? Therefore, God already knows how this thing is going to play out. And so let's ask the Lord for His wisdom. Amen? Let's get God's heart on this and recognize that He is faithful. And my last thing I'll say to you about that particular part of this is use this as an opportunity to pray daily for your board. Pray for them. They will be the ones really on the front lines of that battle. They'll be the ones working with me and praying with me and working to do our job to discern God's will as it relates to particular people the Lord might bring into our path. Pray for your staff team as much of the responsibility of this transition will fall upon them 
And they will be asked to probably carry the load in new ways and pray for them. Give them a little extra grace. Give them some extra patience. Be flexible with them. Come alongside them. Support them. Partner with them. Help hold their hands up in prayer as they do their work. And also pray for any of the people that we're going to be thinking about or praying about or considering pastors out there that the Lord might choose to bring in our path. And I believe that if we'll choose that tact, I think God will help us, friends. Hear it again. Recognize Jesus loves his church even more than you do. Rest in that. Embrace the attitude that says we're in this together. We're going to pull this thing forward together. Trust the process. Trust the Holy Spirit. And bathe this entire journey in prayer. And all God's people said, that would be my admonition to you. Well, I'd also like to take, spend a few word, moments with you in God's word and really kind of play out of what I just said to you. Because what I want to share with you this morning really is just a continuation of the things that I started with today. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to Paul's letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, that's one of these things, okay? All right, this little book, you know. You're welcome to pull one out, or it'll be on the screen. You can use your phone, of course. And uh, when you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, would you stand with me? And I will read um, for us this particular passage. When you read the Corinthian letters, you don't always read encouraging things. Now, there's lots to celebrate in Corinth. There's lots to, to be happy about there, but... In the Corinthian letters, the Apostle Paul has to really wrestle with some struggles in that church. Sometimes there's really just really difficult things happening there. Blatant sin, um, the failures of leadership, confusion, all kinds of things that could undermine the witness of the people of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, almost like a district superintendent, I hate to say it, um, he, he has to kind of come in and address those challenges within that particular church. And yet I'm encouraged that in, in spite of the fact that things are not always well there, I still love it that Paul calls them saints. And I often think, you know what, if Paul could call the Christians at Corinth saints, there's hope for me, amen? And I'll, I'll take that. But what I love is that Paul, at the end of the day, is a pastor. Even when he has to kind of challenge them or sit on them a bit, he's a pastor. And so no matter what else he's said to them in these letters, he wants to wrap it up with words that a pastor would say. And I want to read those to you. This is from 2 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 11. First part of this is him giving encouragement, obviously in response to some of the bad stuff he's had to deal with. But here this is encouragement. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Again, not all is well in Corinth. Things are uncertain. And yet Paul says, let your primary attitude, even in the midst of uncertainty, to be that of rejoicing. Finally, brothers, rejoice. I don't know about you, but I felt like we were able to rejoice in the presence of the Lord in worship today, in spite of how we might feel. Amen? We rejoice. Strive for full restoration. That goes, goes back to the whole encouragement, unity part of this. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And if we choose to, if we choose to love one another and be of one mind and be at peace, here's what he says. If we'll do that, the God of love and peace will be with us. Who wants the God of love and peace to be with us? Throughout this, right? Okay, so here's what he says. If that's going to happen, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. That's the pathway, see, to experiencing that from the Father. And then he says, and greet one another with a holy kiss. That's the hospitality piece. 
Just a little um, pre-pandemic version of it, right? Greet one another with a holy kiss, right? And then Paul, you know, he's writing, I think, from Rome. He says to them, all God's people here send their greetings. Hear that today. Friends, in the midst of transition, the church of Jesus Christ sends their greetings to you. You're not alone. You're not going through this by yourselves. The church loves you. My case, 61 of them love you. In the church of the Nazarene, 20,000 of them love you. In the case of the church of Jesus Christ, however many millions love you. You are not alone in this journey. The church of Jesus Christ sends greetings to you today and says, you know what? We're all in this together. We're a family. And we're going to get through this thing together. And then Paul wraps up that letter. Again, not an easy letter. He wraps it up saying to them, May the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God, and if you could put that in brackets, he's basically saying, May the love of God the Father and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May the grace of Jesus Christ, may the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May God have blessing to the reading of his word and we all agreed and said, You may be seated. You may be seated. Several years ago, when I was uh, pastoring in Tennessee, um, Trinity Sunday was coming up. And I decided that I wanted to spend some time talking with my congregation about really the essential core doctrine of all of Christianity that everything else is built upon. And that, of course, is the belief of a God who is Trinitarian in nature. And so I started to do my work and I thought, you know what, this is going to be great. And after about hours and hours of work on it, I realized, you know what, I'm an idiot for trying to do this. Because at the end of the day, the Trinity is, is, a, is, an, is an unbelievable mystery. And I came to the conclusion that day that, you know, I'm not really going to be able to teach them about a doctrine because, that, that really Christians for 2,000 years have just had to say, we believe in all of this. We just don't fully understand it and can't fully explain it. And I was okay with just saying, you know what, hey, we affirm a God who expresses himself in his relationship with himself with his world and with us as Father, Son, and Spirit, even if we can't always make sense of the whole thing doctrinally. And as I was working on it, I found myself coming to that particular passage at the end of 2 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul pronounces a Trinitarian blessing on this congregation hundreds of years before anyone said there is a doctrine of the Trinity. Long before anyone has spelled it out and said, here's what we believe, the Apostle Paul was saying, in essence, a Trinitarian blessing upon them. And of course, when I read it, thinking about it through my doctrinal eyes, I thought to myself, you know what, Paul, if you had written this the right way, you would have said, may the love of God the Father and the grace of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul, you would have said it in the right order. And then I stopped and realized Paul didn't even know about a right order. He had the raw materials. All he knew was this is how God has chosen to express himself. The church has affirmed it. When Jesus was baptized, you know, the Bible says he went into the waters of baptism. A voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased to obey him. Jesus, the second person, was in the water. And it says that, a, that the dove rested upon him in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Long before anyone had ever said, there is a doctrine of the Trinity. And I started thinking to myself, okay, the Apostle Paul doesn't care about doctrinal formats. He doesn't even know about them. And yet I find it fascinating that when he pronounced that blessing, he didn't start with the love of the Father. He started with the grace of Jesus. And I wonder, you know, I think probably that was intentional on Paul's part. 
Because I think Paul was trying to say to them and to us that whenever people think of us, when we understand who we are, when we try to kind of peel back the layers of of our character as the people of God, what is it that should define us as followers of Jesus above all else? And I think Paul is trying to say to us that may the grace of Jesus Christ be what defines us above all else. In other words, I think Paul chose to lead with grace. And I think Paul is encouraging us as the people of God to lead with grace. Now, whenever we think of grace, the Greek word for that is the word charis. And charis simply means the unmerited favor of God. Grace is when God gives me what I need instead of what I deserved. Grace is the undeserved actions of love and compassion that originate from within the heart and will of the giver. Grace isn't something that happens from the outside in. It's something that begins on the inside and works its way out. Grace is not something you conjure up. Grace is something that's divinely empowered. Grace is something totally other. It is unmerited. It is favor. It is goodness. And I love it. that It's not an easy church at Corinth. And I think it's really awesome that Paul says, my prayer for you is that you would experience that from Jesus. That. And I think when Paul wrote that, he was saying, I hope that you'll experience that in your life together. And my prayer for you during transition is that that in your life together, you would experience the grace of Jesus in new and creative ways. I pray that Jesus would be extra good to you. I pray that, that he would pour out his grace upon you in new measure in special sorts of ways so that you can look upon what Jesus is doing in your life and in your midst and go, only by the grace of God. God is good. God is faithful. I think the reason why he said, prayed that prayer over them was not just so that they could experience that amazing grace, but I think he was also hoping that that, that would become kind of their life together as the people of God, that they and their life together would be a people of grace. And my prayer for you in transition is that you would be a people of grace toward one another. Not only would you receive it, but that in your life together you would be people who give it, that you pour it out on each other. My prayer for you, I think would be Paul's prayer for them as well, is that not only would you experience God's grace, that you would live it out in your life together, but I also pray that as you continue to be the church in transition, that as you engage this community as you engage your neighbors, your classmates, your, your co-workers, as people come into your fellowship in these months, my prayer is that you will lead with grace. I pray that people experience the grace of God in transition because they are experiencing a people of amazing grace. May the grace of Jesus Christ be with you, Paul says. Doesn't stop there though, right? Trinitarian blessing. He goes on and says, next, may the love of God, and we could put in brackets there, as I said, the Father. He's talking about the character of the Father. When we talk about God and his character, what is it that defines him above all else? And that is he is a God of love. And the word that Paul uses there is the word agape. There's lots of, time, lots of different kinds of words for love, lots of different types of love out there. But the most biblical kind, a very uniquely Christian form of love is known as agape, is the kind of love that Paul is expressing, his desire that they will experience from the Father. Agape love is a selfless kind of love. Agape love is a self-giving kind of love. It is the kind of love that's expressed within the Trinity. It's how God relates to himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. 
as the Son submits to the Father and the Spirit to the Son and the Son, all of them in relationship together is this, is this agape relationship of pouring their lives out for the other, into the other, for the sake of maintaining relationship. And that's the God we serve, a very relational God. And, and Paul's prayer for them is that they would experience that love, a love that's divinely empowered, a love that's only been only impossible when it's been shed abroad in our hearts by Him, poured out in us. And Paul is praying to a people that don't have it all together. I'm praying you will experience that from the Father. Oftentimes we think it's God. It's going to be about judgment. It's going to be about oppression. It's going to be about all the things our world says that God is or that their expression of God is. Paul says, I pray you will experience the agape of the Father. He loves you that much. But I don't think he just wants us to experience it personally. He's, I think he's praying that among the Corinthians, hello, that they would actually begin to live out that type of love in their relationships with each other. A selfless kind of love, a self-giving kind of love, a divinely empowered kind of love. I think Paul's praying that through their lives together that they could pour out that type of love on their neighbors, on their community, on the people who would come into their midst. And my prayer during this transition is that you would experience the agape of the Father. God's got this. He is good. He loves you. He is for you. And I'm praying that not only will you experience it, but I pray that during these months, in the ways I talked about earlier, that you will live out this agape in your life together. And friends, this is unheard of in our world. This is not the way the world relates to each other. And it is world-changing stuff. When you live this life among yourselves, it is contagious to your neighbors. It is contagious to the world. And my prayer is, is that not only will you enjoy it in your life together, but as you go to work and go to school, as God brings you into the sphere of influence of your neighbors, as people come into this fellowship throughout these months of transition, that they would experience the, a type of love they know nothing about, they've never experienced. And how could they? Because it's divinely empowered. It's made possible when Jesus comes and my prayer is that you will pour that out into this community so that even during transition, you are blown away by the ways that God is caring for your church, bringing new people into your family, and enabling you to love each other in the ways that God loves the Son, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Son, Father, the Son, the Spirit, the Father, and on and on it goes. So that's Paul's prayer for them. May the grace of Jesus Christ be with you. May the love of God the Father be with you. And the last word that he, that he pronounces upon them is may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. That word is the word koinonia. Paul is praying that the koinonia of the Holy Spirit will be with you. Again, I can't understand the doctrine of the Trinity all that well. It's certainly not well enough to preach it to anybody. But I can understand these character traits of our creator God. I can understand that if, if all else fails in my relationship with the Lord and my understanding of all that's going on around me, I can stand on the truth of knowing that this God that I'm following is a God of grace, he's a God of love, he's a God of fellowship. I can be confident in that. Now what is koinonia? Well, koinonia is true partnership. Part, not the kind that our world gives, which is, hey, we'll hang together as long as it's mutually beneficial. True partnership, biblical partnership, is we are in this thing together because we're in this thing together. Koinonia is about community, real community. Not just the drinking coffee in the lobby kind, which is wonderful, but 
It's not just the sharing a meal from time to time kind, but it's the kind of community that says we're family. We're standing with each other. We're supportive of one another. We're going to come alongside each other no matter what. That's the kind of community he's talking about. It is, it is a spiritual intimacy that our world knows nothing of. It is a kinship that is made only possible from the family of God gathering together as the people of God, pouring out our lives into one another, loving each other with grace-giving ways, giving the, the love of the Father to one another and experiencing it from one another. And Paul is praying to a group, by the way, that didn't really have great koinonia. Paul is praying a blessing on them because he knows what God can do that they would experience it in their life together. But I don't think he just wanted them to experience fellowship with God, the Holy Spirit. I think he wanted them to experience it in their life together as well. And again, my prayer for you is that even during transition, this could be a unifying time for you. That this could bring you together in new and creative ways. That you'll be blown away and look back and go, wow, I didn't want transition. It broke my heart. But God is faithful and God is good. And I love this group, this family, this people in ways I never dreamed I could. And it happened in an uncertain and unfamiliar time. And I think what Paul is also hoping for them and hopes for us in transition is that not only would we experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and, and, and live it out in our lives together, but I pray that even in transition that we would be a people of koinonia out there in our community and not only out in our community and our everyday lives, but as God brings people into this fellowship during these months, I pray that they would experience a fellowship that they've never experienced before because they're experiencing a type of people that they've never experienced before. And all of it's made possible because of what God can do. See, I am hopeful. I'm hopeful because I serve an amazing God. I serve a God who's bigger than all of these things. A God who knows the beginning from the end. A God who holds the church in his hand. A God who will care for his people. A God that I can put my trust in. And if I could give my heart to this God and trust that he could take me to be with Jesus someday, then I can trust that, he can, that he's going to put my transition in, this hand, in his hands and he's going to lead us to the place where he wants us to go. Amen. We're getting close to Christmas, believe it or not. And uh, at Christmas time, we have a word we use. We say it a lot in songs and whatever from an Isaiah passage. And to describe, you know, the, the season as it relates to God, and it's the word Emmanuel. You guys know that word? Say it with me, would you? Emmanuel. And the word literally means, it's three words, if you know them, say them with me. Three words, God with us. Say it with me, will you? God with us. Wrapped up in that little word is all the truth that I've shared with you today. Because the first word of that little three-word description of Emmanuel is God. I am so grateful to know that in the midst of transition, that I am serving a sovereign God, a creator who, who sustains all things. A God that wasn't ever created. He's pre-existent. He made all things out of nothing. And he loves and invented this world and he made us. He is an amazing God. He is coming in complete control and how many of you are grateful in the midst of transition that you serve a God who's in control? Amen? He's sovereign. But yet, what I also love about this God is he's not only sovereign, but the second word of that little phrase, God, say it with me, with. He's God with. And when I think of the fact that he's God with, he's not just God who's transcendent, way off there sovereign somewhere, but he's God who's very much intimately close to me. And when I think about a God who is with, how can I not think about Jesus, the second part of this trinity? That he is God with flesh on. 
Jesus knows how I feel. Jesus understands my grief. Jesus relates to my sadness. Jesus wept with those who weep. Jesus loves his kids. Jesus is walking this journey with us. He is close. He is personal. He is real. He is right here. Amen? He is God. He is sovereign. He is Jesus. He is imminent and close and with. Last part, God with us. Not only is he sovereign and out there, but he's Jesus and he's close. And he has given us the promise of his continued presence through the baptism, the infilling, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when I think about the role of the Holy Spirit as it relates to the church, and I think about that word, it makes me realize it is the Holy Spirit who makes us, us. He is God with us. He is right here in our midst. He's the one that gives us identity. He's the one that gives us life together. He's the one that makes us the people of God. He's the one that makes us who God is calling to be in this world. We are not alone in this world. He unites us. He draws us together. He enables us to experience true fellowship with one another. He is the ongoing presence of God with us in this church, on this day, through this transition, all the way to the end of this transition. He is the one who empowers the church. He is the one that enables us to know grace, to be a people of grace. He's the one that enables us to know the Father, to love the Father, to experience the agape of the Father, and to be people of divinely empowered agape. He is the one who makes us us. He is the one who brings us together. He's the one who gives us intimacy. He is the one who gives us fellowship. And so I don't know about you, but in the midst of the uncertainties of moments like this, It gives me great encouragement to know that I rest in some few constants in my life. We sing about several of those today in our worship. I know that no matter what is coming or going in my life, the uncertainties of the whole thing, that I serve a God who is faithful and good. I serve a God who is sovereign and in charge. I serve a God who is close and personal and cares about what I care about and feels what I feel. I serve a God who says, not only do I care, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk alongside with you. I'm going to fill you. I'm going to draw you together. I'm going to make you one. I'm going to bring you through all of this because that's the kind of God I am. In the same way I relate to myself, I'm going to create an empowerment among you that you can relate to one another in the same way. And I think if the Apostle Paul could believe in such a thing in Corinth, then we can absolutely embrace such truth for Bentonville Community Church. We're going to We're going to trust the Lord in this, amen? He is good and he is faithful. And he will care for his church. And I just want to challenge you and encourage you, let's lean more into Jesus than we ever have before. Let's lean more into the love of the Father more than we ever have before. Let's lean more into the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, maybe more than we ever have before. And let's not only experience all of that, I want to experience his grace I want to experience this love. I want to experience this koinonia as fellowship. But I don't want to just keep it for myself. But I want to experience it so that I can watch it played out among the people of God in our life together. Why has it ever been written anywhere that at the end of a transition we can't be better? Right? At the end of a transition that we can't know that God is even more faithful. 
Who's to say that by the end of transition that we couldn't have reached more people for Jesus than we even did before? My prayer for you, of course, is that through this time, this community would be drawn to you. I pray that people would come to faith in Christ through your transition. I pray that marriages would be saved through your transition. I pray that lives would be transformed through your transition. I pray that God would bring this body together in creative and unique ways, in ways that just boggle the mind because we see what an awesome God he is. I don't just pray those things for you, but I believe in those things for you because I believe in a God like the one we described this morning. So whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, I pray that you would lean into all of that truth and ask God to lavish upon you his grace, his love, and his fellowship. And I pray that you would ask God to help you all through transition to be a people of grace, to be a people of love, to be a people of fellowship in your lives together. And I pray, I can't help it, it's my evangelistic heart. I pray that this community, your neighbors, your classmates, your coworkers, everybody that the reach of this ministry touches, I pray that in their engagement and encounter with Bentonville Community Church of the Nazarene folks, they will experience the grace of Jesus, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we all agree to say.